Take your copy of God's Word now and turn together with me to Matthew chapter 17. Our sermon text this morning is just a couple of verses, Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. These are the words of God. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our God and Father, We come before You humbly asking for Your blessing on this time together. We ask, Lord, that You would cause Your Word to bear fruit in our lives. We ask that You would give Your Holy Spirit. That He would illumine our hearts and minds in the faith. And we ask, O Lord, that You would mature us in the faith. Help us to cling with an even tighter grip to the Lord Jesus Christ to lead lives that are worthy of His Gospel, seeking each and every day to be obedient to His law. And Lord, we ask all this in His name. Amen. Do you ever ever think about uh, what life would be like not to have a particular individual in it? You know, I think about how uh, the life of our body has changed just over the past uh, week uh, since... Uh, the Lord called Dave home. It is so different not to see him wheeling in here, uh, not to witness his faithfulness. And it's changed. It's changed our body. Uh, But we're thankful, obviously, that the Lord has taken him home and that we will get to see him again uh, through Christ. But it's changed. And and I wonder if, do you ever think how your, your life might change if a certain individual was taken out of it? Now, I think about, um, caregivers, uh, maybe a, a spouse, or, or, or a, maybe you've been a child and you've had to take care of a parent for a long period of time, or you've been a spouse and you've had to care for, an, for your ailing husband or wife for a time, and then that day comes when the Lord calls them home or, or they die, and your life is instantly changed. And, and, and for some, I would say, I, I didn't want that change. I didn't want that person to go away. But life is completely altered. In our text today, Jesus announces his own death. And the disciples think about what that means for them. And you think they've been with him now for a a couple of years, probably, maybe two and a half years. We're getting very, very close to his Passion Week uh, in the Gospel. And they are required to think about what life would mean without him. And in doing so, they responded with deep despair, maybe with some deep anger at what he said to them. But what it shows us is that Jesus prepared his disciples by predicting his fate, and he revealed their need to grow. All right? So Jesus prepared his disciples by predicting his fate and he revealed their need to grow. That's what we're going to notice this morning in our passage of Scripture. But remember where we are in the passage. Where have we come from? 
Well, we, we're, we're down at the bottom of a mountain now. Jesus and three of the disciples, the, the, the creme de la creme, as it were, of the disciples, which included Peter, remember that, okay? Jesus had taken up on the mountain and he gave them this amazing preview of himself in his ascended glory. I can't wait to see that. Dave is seeing that right now. Seeing him in his ascended glory, seated as the God-man at the right hand of the Father, on his throne, ruling and reigning, crowned with many crowns. That's where our Jesus is right now. They had had this preview. They come down from the mountain. They have this conversation about John the Baptist and Elijah. And Jesus casts out a demon and tells them, if you have even the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to that mountain, move from here to there, and it will do that. And we arrive back in Galilee to home base. As it were, maybe we have returned, maybe they've returned to Peter's home, uh, where the, the base of their mission to the region of Galilee was, and Jesus gathers them together. You think maybe of a my great my great grandfather, my grandmother would tell me after every uh, after every supper, he he would go into the den and he'd get all the chairs and he would put them in a circle and all the kids would sit there and my great grandfather would pray for all the kids by name. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's gathering his disciples together again as a faithful shepherd to prepare them. To prepare them. And so for the second time, he announces his death and resurrection. And we're going to see just a couple of points. First, Jesus prepared his disciples by predicting his fate. And Jesus revealed their need to grow in faith. Jesus predicted, prepared his disciples by predicting his fate, and he revealed their need to grow in faith. Let's notice, first of all, how he prepared his disciples from verse, verses 22 and 23. Notice what Jesus says there, Matthew 17. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And so what Jesus shows us is there are three essential components to his own suffering. Three essential components. The first of which is that he would be delivered over. Literally, he's going to be handed over. I was reading uh, just this morning in Genesis chapter 37, and, and as, the, as the brothers are, are calculating how they're going to kill Joseph and get rid of them. It says that Reuben spoke up and delivered. He delivered Joseph's life. He spared his life. Well, Jesus is talking about the opposite thing here. He's not going to be redeemed, as it were. He will be handed over. And this, of course, is a reference to Judas' betrayal of him. The second component of that is that he would be killed. Now, usually this refers to killing by wicked men. Uh, not usually a, a just killing as in war or in capital punishment. But this is the type of killing that is somebody is plotting to cause your harm and put you to death. This is wicked and sinful killing. And Jesus says that he will be subject to that. He's going to be handed over into the hands of men and they will wickedly 
kill him. But there's a third component, isn't there? He will be betrayed. He will be put to death. But he will also be raised from the dead. And so for the third time in his gospel, Jesus says, I will be raised from the dead. Now, one of those times he said explicitly to the apostles in John, or I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 16. Here, but he's also told the Pharisees twice that he would give them the sign of Jonah. And what did that mean? The Son of Man will be three days in the belly of the earth and he will be raised. Just as Jonah was spat out of death. Three times Jesus has predicted his death. Twice he's predicted his death. For three times now he has predicted that he would be raised from the dead. And I think there's a, as you read all of this, look back at your passage there, Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. He will be delivered, they will kill him, and he will be raised again. And so just a, a simple nuance here that all of these verbs are passive. In other words, Jesus is saying, these things will happen to me. And that is important. By predicting his death, Jesus again is reminding us that he lays his life down willingly. You see that throughout his ministry, he has had the understanding that this is his fate. This is what he is here for. He lays his life down willingly. It is not taken from him. This is the image of the suffering servant. You think about Isaiah chapter 53, that precious passage of Scripture to us. And in verse 7, it says this, He was oppressed... And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus is showing that he's doing all of this willingly. He knows that this is his fate, and he is offering himself as a sacrifice for sins. He is both the priest and the offering. And I think another thing to notice is that Jesus did not make this prediction during a low point in his ministry. Think about the time when he preached to the crowds and they rejected his hearing that his words, they hardened their hearts. We, we could understand after a moment like that where Jesus comes aside with his disciples and he says, guys, this is not going well. I'm probably going to die. Or maybe after the Pharisees started plotting with the Herodians, how are we going to kill this guy for Jesus to come aside and say, fellas, I've consulted the tea leaves and I have a feeling... I'm going to die. All of that would indicate to us the the humanity of Christ, that he's just like every other man who when things aren't going well, he says, ho-hum, I guess we're not going to succeed. But I want you to notice that Jesus predicted his death on the heels of high points in his ministry. 
Turn back over one chapter to Matthew 16. Now Jesus predicts his death in Matthew 16, 21. It says there that from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So he predicts all of this. This is the first time. And so from that time, he starts showing his disciples this truth, sprinkling it into his ministry to them. But notice that that comes on the heels of Peter's confession. Right there, Peter has said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's, it's the first moment that any of the disciples have had any idea of what the truth is, it would seem. And it's that moment that Jesus predicted his death and burial and resurrection. And as we come to Matthew 17, when he does it again, they've just been on the Mount of Transfiguration and come down from this high point, And there, Jesus says, and I will die. This is not the prediction of a pessimistic man. This is our Lord keeping the mission before His men. Now they struggle, and we're going to see that they struggle with selfish ambition. They have this idea that Jesus will be, he's gonna, He won't go to the cross, certainly, but He will set up a kingdom on the earth and that they are going to be parts of it, ruling maybe at His right hand. They have selfish ambition, and so Jesus keeps His mission before these men because He is the Good Shepherd. He shows them that He will lay down His life for the sheep. John 10, verses 17 to 18, He spoke in this way. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I received from my Father. And so as you read these passages where Jesus predicts His death, you remember He is doing this willingly, and He's doing this for my redemption. No one took his life from him. He is not a victim. And these passages remind us of that very great truth. We also need to take notice of the effect that this has. Let me give you one other application. Jesus' fate should all, always remind you and me of, of our own fate apart from Him. There was one thought that comforted Job in all of his despair. You, you maybe can think of it. In Job 19, verses 25 to 27, he, he said this, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. 
And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Do you see, even in the pit of his despair, Job could turn and remember that he would be raised with Christ and stand with Him on the earth in His flesh. The resurrection of Christ gave him comfort and hope. What do we have apart from Him? What we have is the promise that the fate He suffered will be our fate. Every man who is not in union with Christ will one day be delivered over. At his trial, the chief priests and the Pharisees took him and they bound him with ropes and delivered him over to Pilate. Every man who rejects Christ will be bound and delivered over not to any human government, but to the judgment of God. This is why we read in Hebrews 10.31 It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As we consider Jesus' prediction then, one, it gives us hope. There is my shepherd. There He is. Confidently facing death. Confidently looking the devil in the eyes and proceeding forward with courage, with bravery. His heart set on obedience to the Lord for the sake of His people. And pity for all who reject Him and will suffer that fate in their own flesh. The second thing that we see is that Jesus revealed the disciples' need to grow in faith. Jesus revealed the disciples' need to grow in faith. Notice how the disciples respond there in verse 23. And they were greatly distressed. This may be one of those uh, Hebraisms. You know, in the Hebrew text, when it wants to emphasize something, it doubles it up. So when God said to Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die, what it's actually saying there is you will die, die. That's the literal Hebrew. And there's a sense where that comes out in the, in the New Testament here. They are, they are uh, exceedingly distressed or terribly terrified. You might think of it that way. There's a kind of a range of idea here. They, sorrow comes forth. They're sorrowing. They're fearful. They're sad. They're distressed. All of that is bound up in this moment. We think about, remember Peter's response the first time that Jesus said, all that's going to happen to the Son of Man? He pulled him aside and he said, you're not thinking straight, Lord. Literally rebuking him. I want us to think together just for a moment about some reasons for their distress. Why do you think the disciples were distressed by this news? Should they have been distressed by this news? I think the first thing that it reveals is one of the reasons for their distress is that they failed to understand. They failed to understand. Jesus said, I will be delivered, I will be killed. 
and I will be raised on the third day. And I think after he said the, the, the first two things, the, the blood sort of rushed to their heads and their ears got clogged up and they didn't understand the whole resurrection idea. Remember that all along now, according to, to Matthew 16, 21, he's been teaching them, he's showing them what must happen to them. And, and so as we take away from this, thinking about their failure to understand, resulting in their distress, one of the things that it reminds you and me of is the need for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. That's what's lacking in these apostles right now. They haven't reached Pentecost. You and I need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to know Christ, to obey Christ, and, listen, to experience peace from Him. For the disciples, Jesus was not raised and exalted on high yet. But the powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit made a significant difference for them. And so for you and me, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit applying God's Word in our lives enables us to walk in God's ways without inordinate grief and fear and distress. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us then how to pray. What, what's something that you ought to be praying? Lord, Give me more of your Spirit. Just as you can quench the Spirit by evil deeds, so by walking in faithfulness with the Lord and pursuing Him, God gives you more of His Spirit. There's a second reason for their distress. Not only did they fail to understand, I think there's probably a fear of a similar fate. These are His known associates at this point. Surely, at least a couple of them are thinking, if you're going to die, I'm going to die. If they hate you, they're going to hate me. And this is why Peter denied him, isn't it? Hey, that guy was with him, not me. They face severe loss. Severe loss. They've devoted everything to him. They've given him their time. They left their vocations. And they left their families to walk by his side. I think they feared a similar fate. And that reminds you and me that everything, everything you give up to be faithful to Christ will be paid back to you thousandfold. In Psalm 91, we read this. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Jesus, perhaps picking up on this, says in John 12, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There's nothing that you give up that God will not honor. Thirdly, I think there's perhaps a frustration due to a pessimistic outlook. 
Don't you think that at least maybe a few of those disciples were saying, I'm, I'm, we may not be the buffest guys, but surely you, you realize we're going to fight. I don't care who comes against you, Lord. We're going to fight. In fact, Peter, in the last hours, took the, his sword out of his sheath and cut off Malchus' ear. That's pretty precise sword work. We don't understand. Haven't you said if we have faith as a mustard seed, we're going to move this mountain from here to there? I don't understand the pessimism. And here they had to understand the mission of their Lord. That He had come to die. Fourthly, perhaps grief over the loss of one that they had loved. Don't you think this may be the most significant. They loved him. They've walked with him now for a few years. They've seen his miracles. They've been fed by his own hands. They've seen his power. They've confessed him as Lord. And they, they love him. And they don't want to be parted from him. And I think as we, as we think about this and, and, and taking in how these disciples have responded, here's a question. If Jesus merely died, the disciples missed the resurrection part. If Jesus merely died, what would that change for you? What, how would your life look different if Jesus merely died and wasn't raised? Would your, would your priorities change if Jesus merely died? What have you given up like these disciples that you can't get back? If Jesus merely died, what sacrifices have you made? Perhaps setting aside vocations, maybe promotions, maybe glory in the eyes of man that you would suffer if Jesus merely died. So you see what, what comes to light in this passage is that it's the resurrection of Christ that turns our sorrows into joy. It's the resurrection of Christ that makes all the sacrifices that you have made in His behalf for Him, to follow Him, to give Him uh, humble submission, uh, humble obedience. It's the resurrection of Christ that makes all of that worth anything at all. That makes living worth anything at all. It is the resurrection that gives joy because the resurrection declares His sacrifice is accepted by the Father, the penalty has been paid, and all those who hope in Him will likewise be raised. What Jesus is revealing in His disciples is that they hadn't grasped that yet. Jesus prepared His disciples by predicting His fate and revealed their need to grow. As we... Enjoy the Lord's Supper this morning.
I would ask you to give careful consideration to what life would look like without Christ. Would you mourn? Would the funeral tomorrow look different? Do you, in light of this, strive to know Him? Does your heart long for Him? Are you cultivating that in your life? Do you yearn to bring glory to Him through humble obedience? Maybe as it did for the disciples, this thought reveals your own need to grow. May God be gracious to give us that growth by the working of His Holy Spirit as we strive together unto holiness. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we confess together that there are many things in this life that would take our hearts away, cause us fear and distress, but You live. There are many things, O Lord, that would bring us into the greatest depths of grief, but You live. We would despair of our own sin and the debt that we owe to God which we could never repay. But, O oh Lord, You live. That we would, we would fret and pull our hair out because of the coming judgment standing before the righteous judge who shows no pity in that day. And yet You live. Lord, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here this morning. God, would You Give us a renewed confidence because Jesus lives. Enable us to give every sacrifice for Him. Give all obedience to Him because of this great truth. We pray in His name. Amen.